Welcome back to the Lily Kate Show. It's been a while since I've done a breaking news segment, so here we go. Kanjita Brown-Jackson is the nominee for the Supreme Court. We talked about her a while ago because Joe Biden said that he would not nominate anyone who wasn't a black woman. So here we are, a black woman who's been nominated to the Supreme Court, not the first time, mind you. Janice Rogers was the first one nominated under George W. Bush, but I digress. Apparently, she's making history. Apparently, she's making waves. And apparently, she's barely scraping through her Supreme Court hearings because Senator Blackburn from Tennessee, I believe, asked her a very simple question. Here's the exchange. It's worth the listen. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word Did you catch that? She said, I'm not a biologist. I can't define what a woman is. Well, guess what, guys? I'm not a scientist, and I can tell why the weather changes. I'm not a pastor, but I know that Jesus Christ has saved my life. And I'm not a mathematician, but I can tell what four times four is. Why does someone need to be a biologist to assert the basic truth that literally three-year-olds would know? It's funny because in the Supreme Court hearings, always a really big tell into where, where our society is going and how volatile this feminist movement actually is. Because it went from Kavanaugh, which was believe all women, that was the common statement. It went to Amy Coney, which was believe some women because some women are conservatives and Catholics and should not be believed because of that. And now all of a sudden with Brown Jackson, it's what even is a woman? Not believe all women or believe some women, but what even is a woman? So you can definitely tell the volatility of the feminist movement because it's constantly changing. The priorities are changing. The definitions are changing. The parameters are changing. What is acceptable is changing. It's almost like a social media algorithm. It never stops changing. You don't really get notified when it does change. You just are notified when they add a new feature and you're supposed to adhere and put content onto these features if you want to be widely accepted on social media, aka you need to be able to accept the most recent feminist mantra to be able to be accepted in the feminist movement and stay really up to date with the constant downloads that the left is, is putting into their political philosophy. It's ever expanding, ever changing, can never stay the same, and that's why we shouldn't trust it first and foremost, and that's why we need to do everything we can to unite against this radical feminist um, doctrine. And then assert what the definition of a woman is. A definition of a woman is not hard. It's a female human being with XX chromosomes. That is the scientific and quote unquote biological definition of what a woman is. And that is interchangeable, of course, with the term female, woman, those literally mean the same thing. The left often likes to split these up and you can't let them do that. You need to assert that the definition, I'll say it again, of a woman is a female human being with XX chromosomes. It's as simple as that. This is just the prime example of the decay in the quality of people who are holding the power. They can't define basic words and they adhere to, quote unquote, the experts for anything that is mildly outside of the realm of what they're, quote unquote, expert in, even if that is a very basic truth. As we can see, the quality of people who are holding power is quickly and rapidly diminishing. But from firsthand experience, I'm going to assert that also the quality of people who are attending public universities and colleges is also quickly, rapidly and uh, shockingly, <laughs> I say that sarcastically, diminishing because 
Guys, I have this new show that I'd like to announce called Sanity Check. You've probably seen it on my Instagram. This new show, Sanity Check, goes to any college campus and any university that will take us and we test their sanity. Here's just a little clip of the content that is coming. Hi, I'm Lily Kate. And this is Sanity Check, where we test the sanity of your college campus. Do you think the Pride movement should be more inclusive of people who want to date their siblings? I'm not very, I don't, I'm not, I don't think, I'm not really sure if that's what floats their boat. Or a better solution than what we're facing now. Uh, I don't know if I'm really, <laughs> I mean, love who you want sort of thing. Do you think that moms should have to be women? Yes. Yeah. No. No, not at all. Not really, depending on how you define what a mother is. Both a man and a, or a woman can both fundamentally be under that same definition. Oh man, oh man, oh man. This show is going to be a whole mouthful. So far, we have about seven episodes shot of season one. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Hopefully, maybe in the future, I can get it with a bigger organization in the conservative movement. But prayers for that and prayers for the success of this show. I appreciate all the support that I've gotten, truly. I don't usually get personal on this podcast, but social media has been pretty rough for me. I've lost a lot of followers since coming down from LA. I've gotten banned <laughs> a whole lot on a lot of different platforms. And I'm hoping now this will be the show that brings me back, puts me on the map in the conservative movement as someone who is a consistent, reliable source for testing the sanity of college campuses and not only exposing the radical leftist indoctrination, but also with a creative way, we do gauge the sanity. So how we do the sanity check show is, we have four different metrics. The first thing we do when we get on campus is we set up a tabling event. And if you've ever been to a college campus, it's just you there with a table with a few little little things on your table to pass out to people, right? We bring a petition. This petition will be two sides of the same coin. For example, the one that we did at, let's say UC Santa Barbara, we brought it and we said, we believe the SAT should add a black history section into the SAT for college application. Whereas the other side says, no, we should erase the select erase box completely. And we see at the end of the day, which petition gets more signatures. Now, if a student comes up to us and signs one of our petitions, we offer them a flag. We say, hey, as our gift to you, we'd love to give you a flag. And we give them the option between a handheld American flag and a handheld LGBTQ flag. Spoiler alert, in every campus except one TCU, all of the LGBTQ flags are gone in an hour and a half. Then, if that person seems exceedingly friendly and not in a rush to get to class, we then ask them to do a little interview. And there we ask them five odd and weird questions to gauge their sanity. Questions such as, do you think abortion is mean? Or, like I said in the audio trailer, do you think the pride movement should be more inclusive of people who want to date their siblings? Or do moms have to be women? Other fun ones are, do more white people or black people deserve to own land. Just questions to gauge their sanity. And finally, we then talk to the conservative chapter on campus, whether it's Turning Point, YAF, YAL, YCT, College Republicans, you name it. We talk about their experiences on campus, how they've been doxxed, how they've been persecuted, how the administration has not allowed them to do specific things on campus while they allow the Democratic or Socialist chapters to do so. Protesting, abuse, harassment that these people have gone through. And trust me, some of these stories are wild. And anyway, at the end of the episode, we give a pass or fail grade to each university depending on signatures, answers to questions, flags, and the persecution the chapter has been through. 
we basically say they are sane or they are not sane. And that is how we test the sanity of the college campuses that we go to. And if you guys have a college campus that you want me to go to, simply click the link in the bio of this. It should be Victory of USA slash book sanity check. And we can definitely get you organized for an episode in season two. Okay, y'all, I have a very special guest. Her name is Lisa Huff, and she is amazing. She's going to talk about the future of crypto, the future of Bitcoin mining, how that impacts women and her professional career. I think you're going to be supremely blessed by this. And yes, I hope this inspires you to connect dots and search for information that you don't already have. Lisa Huff, how are you? Good morning, Lily Kate. I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to get into all of the content and just pick your brain about the expertise in the future of blockchain, the future of crypto, and how that will impact the average citizen and women, of course, because that's what the podcast here is focused on mostly. But before we get into that, obviously, you are a very accomplished woman. So could you briefly describe your professional career? Oh, well, thank you. Uh, my professional career started in the energy business. I was uh, hired by Solomon Brothers. I actually answered an ad in the Houston Chronicle back when jobs were advertised in the newspaper. Didn't know wow. what commodities were, didn't know what the equity market was, but somehow uh, got a job on a trading floor, trading um crude oil and crude oil derivatives, heavy fuel, natural gas, et cetera. Um, I was an analyst on that desk. And after about a year, I realized that the men that were trading that literally sat next to me in the same type of chair, used the same type of phone, used the same type of computer. I thought, you know, they actually have the same type of brain I do, and they make a lot more money and, and they look like they're having more fun than me. Uh, they were working shorter hours and being paid much more money. And so I set my sights on trading, and uh, and that's what I did. So I spent a career trading energy, mostly natural gas, a little bit of crude oil, um, arbitraging lots of physical assets. So what that really means is, uh, you know, when you own multiple things and you shift them around to your advantage financially. Um, mm. So it's great, great career. I never thought that I'd love anything. I, I never thought I'd love a job as much as I loved trading and working in the energy markets until I found Bitcoin. And uh, this is so much better. I mean, the, this is the best time to be alive. It's certainly the best time uh, for women. It's the best time for all humanity to be alive. The, mm. the possibilities for all of us is, is just vast and exciting. So I'm excited to be here wow. today and talk to you about it. Yes, for sure. That's amazing. And so obviously, you know, us as teenagers and young adults, right, the oil and energy industry is still a little bit of a mystery for us. But to summarize what you said, you're very successful. You stepped into a man's world. They were, do they were doing really well. And you also loved what you were doing. But you've since, since pivoted to something that is more cutting edge, a little bit more fulfilling for you. And, um, you know, something that you are naturally and, and amazingly gifted at, which is crypto, blockchain, Bitcoin, things like that. And so obviously, you know, you've had a very um, valuable run of a career and you have lots of insights. So for women who like myself who are going into the political sphere or going into, you know, corporate America or going and creating our own businesses, right? How can you how did you find fulfillment in your professional career as a woman? Good question. 
You know, I think what I would encourage people to really think about when they're starting a career or they're, they're, if, you, if you're even recreating yourself, right? So whether or not you're 18, you're 25, you're 35, you're whatever your age, no matter what you've done in the past, that can't limit what the possibility is for you going forward. Mm-hmm. You have the right to change your mind, to change course, to become interested in other things. And when people approach me and say, gosh, you know, um, how did you decide what you were going to do? You know, how did you decide to get into Bitcoin? The answer truly is it's what I'm interested in. It's what I like to read about. It's what I like to talk about. So I would encourage people as they're thinking about how to pursue a career or how to change careers, ask yourself this question. What do you talk about in your free time? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good because the things that you naturally gravitate toward are the things that you're going to be fulfilled by and you shouldn't feel bad if that is something that changes over time, right? Originally, it could be oil and gas and then the next thing you know, it could be tech, right? And there's there's no flaw in that. For me, it was originally, it was YouTube and fashion and lifestyle and room decor and I wanted to be an interior designer and a fashion designer. And then all of a sudden, I realized how important it was for women to be involved in politics and so now I love talking about pro-life stuff. I love talking about feminism. I love talking about how we can preserve our civilization as it is and family and culture and history and art. And so it's just, don't ever feel bad that your interests may switch over time. And if you're in the professional sphere, that's just something that you need to adapt for. And so I love that answer. It leaves a lot of freedom um, for women. And kind of speaking of, you know, the future and freedom, right? Obviously, function and impact of mining and blockchain and crypto cannot be understated. And I really want my audience to understand where this is going to get that, you know, expert opinion on why it's important. So can you explain to us in terms that we will understand, because we're not tech people, how exactly cryptocurrency, the blockchain and Bitcoin mining and things like of things like that are um, important? I can. And, and it really boils down to um... So I will clarify by saying, when I say Bitcoin, a lot of people, most people hear crypto. And what I'd mm. like to really focus on is, is Bitcoin, because sure. Bitcoin is the future of money. It is the new money for the world. Whether or not people understand that yet, um, I think that it. Actually, very clear that most people do not understand, but most people also right. don't understand the function of money or what makes money money. So, I guess I would mm-hmm. just start by saying um, when you begin to learn about Bitcoin, what's really integral is that you, under, you, you begin to dial back to what makes our money valuable. And mm. it's uh, not uh, as someone in our field says it's it's not a collective hallucination you know what what makes money money is that it's a consensus we have all agreed over time on what is the hardest form of money right so we we need mm-hmm. money to agree on how we're going to have exchange instead of yeah, i'll give you two goats right you give yeah, me a cow right like that doesn't work Right. So we had to agree on one form of money. And for mm-hmm. 5,000 years, we basically settled on gold as the, as the, the hardest form of money. Um, before gold, it was seashells. Uh, 
you know, mm. great big stone. Cows you you, you can read women. all about it. Yeah, you can read all yeah. about it. But but gold <laughs> is is what backed every currency worldwide. Mm. Enter Bitcoin in 2009 and, and certainly now um, as the network has grown and the, the number of users, uh, there's roughly 200 million, I think 225 million users on the Bitcoin wow. network. Uh, people are, are now realizing that, that Bitcoin is the future of money. And, and what makes yeah. that so? A couple of things. Um, the answer to what makes Bitcoin valuable is that there is a fixed supply. There only ever will be 21 million Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing on earth that is a finite supply. Gold yeah. is not finite. Um, you know, no, nothing else that you can invest in is finite. Bitcoin is yeah. the only finite thing to touch mankind. And right. We, and just to bring that a little farther, just so the audience hears that, right, the reason why prices are like skyrocketing right now is among other reasons, a lot of different reasons, but the main one is inflation. And when you keep printing money and adding more money to the economy, the money that you have in your pocket automatically becomes less valuable, right? If you have, <laughs> I won't go too, exactly. too technical, but basically Bitcoin is non-inflatable and that's what's so amazing about it. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Right. So last year, if you went to buy a tank of gas, it might have cost you $35 this year. If you go fill up your car, you know, it could cost you, I don't know, almost twice that. Right. So your (laughs) money is becoming less valuable because our uh, elected uh, officials or the appointed folks in the Fed are printing money. They're Mm -hmm. they're putting more money into the supply Mm -hmm. and when there's more money available, people spend more money and they drive up the price of goods. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So Bitcoin is the only thing on earth that is a fixed supply, it's finite, and its monetary policy inside of the protocol of Bitcoin is that you cannot inflate the supply. It's finite, it's trustless, it's permissionless, Mm. global, and it is achieved through what's known as proof of work. And so I'll quickly just go through um, a few of those things. So yeah. trustless, meaning you don't need to trust Chase Manhattan Bank, Bank of America, anyone to use Bitcoin. The code within the Bitcoin blockchain mm. has rules. And when everyone follows those rules, which they need to in order to have valid transactions, on the blockchain, um, you can achieve final settlement. So, in mm-hmm. in other words, when you use your Visa card, um, that's actually not final settlement, right? Visa is somewhere down the road, maybe seven days, maybe six months later, they're they're settling a transaction. Um, Bitcoin is global. I can send value to someone in Nigeria on a Sunday night. I can send mm-hmm. them a billion dollars, right? It's, it'll take less than 60 seconds. It's wow. a very cheap transaction and it's final, right? There's yeah, no, there's, I have a question really quick. Who invented the code and set the code into motion that we are trusting to finalize all these transactions without having a, a middleman or a person or a company in between it? Who who made that code? Someone super smart, right? <laughs> So the, the pseudonym 
Satoshi Nakamoto. Mm -hmm. It could be one person. It could be a, a group of folks. Um, I really encourage your audience to Google who is Satoshi Nakamoto. There's a lot of really cool stuff out there about how yeah, people right. tried to um, I have tried to identify this this individual or a group of individuals. You know, using what what words did they choose? How did they spell certain words? There's a lot of thought mm -hmm. that you know perhaps the person people were in Europe um, because of the time of day things were released or the again the spelling <laughs> of words. It's, it's a fascinating topic, but no one knows. Basically there's this really big conspiracy that there's this person or group of people or organization we don't know called Satoshi. Um, and nobody knows where they, he, she, whoever came from. They don't know where he went. They can't reach him. They don't know if he like owns Bitcoin or not. Um, there's lots of conspiracies about it, but basically this is like a mystery guy who just evaporated one day and we don't know where he is. <laughs> well, right. Well, we do know that he owned Bitcoin. We do know that the first um, million or so Bitcoin that were ever mined and, and you used to be able to just mine Bitcoin. You used to be able to run a computer program on your normal computer and create and, and basically when you were when you were running the protocol on your normal laptop computer, it was solving problems. And when you solve problems, um, much like if you play a video game, you get a reward. And so mm -hmm. those rewards are what are called Bitcoin. And we know that the rewards that Satoshi mined, those Bitcoin have not moved in the history of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin was wow. created in 2008, launched in 2009. And so from 2009 to 2022, we can we can look at every transaction that's ever occurred on the Bitcoin network and know that Satoshi's coins have never moved. So it is it is assumed that Satoshi is no longer with us on this earth. Could um, you imagine how everyone would just flip if just a barely something moved one transaction from his his Bitcoin? It would be incredible. It would be <laughs> incredible for sure. Wow. For sure. So to, um, you know, to just circle back. So how, uh, how, how is, is Bitcoin, you know, created it? You often hear that the words proof of work. And again, that's mm -hmm. using energy in order to, in this case, run now these very powerful computers known as ASIC computers. They're mostly done, um, some done by home miners, but but mostly in some sort of an institutional capacity. So large data centers full of these computers running this code. Um, and, and those people that are running these computers are spending money to do so, right? They have to purchase electricity. They have to purchase the computers. They have to set up these mm -hmm. data rooms. That is known as proof of work. And that's not a, that's not a concept that's new to Bitcoin. It's also how we describe mining for gold or, or mining for any um, element, right? We spend money right. in order to um, achieve a goal. So that is proof of work. Okay. I love it. That's really, it. I, I never made the connection of why they call it mining either, but that makes sense that you are, you are getting the thing and solving the problem that the perceived value of the collective is put on. And that basically the action of doing that is the mining. So that's actually really interesting. Um, and of course, you know, it is pretty complex to understand when you're definitely new to it, but essentially it is like a computer run system that is constantly, the blockchain is constantly affirming the message that it's getting 
um, all over everywhere with millions of different computers so that it cannot be hacked. That's also one thing that is really important to understand. The blockchain, Bitcoin, it cannot be hacked and changed and manipulated because um, now there's like all this infrastructure around it and all these computers confirming the information as it goes. So that's why people tend to trust it more than they trust, you know, a large bank that possibly is just funging money around and we don't know what the bank's doing because it's a computer run, completely transparent alternative. And really the exciting part comes in where we as, you know, creators, we can start building other things on top of the blockchain where it's fully transparent and it's coded in to where you can't change it, you can't manipulate it, and it's a way to store also really important information to where it cannot be corrupted. But that's just another another little tangent. And so um, when we first had a conversation, you talked a little bit about how you felt the need to bring this around the world and how it can raise people out of poverty or, um, you know, make, how do I, how do I phrase this? Um, yeah, it can raise people out of their poverty and drastically improve their lives. So can you talk about how people like, like in El Salvador, what we're seeing right now, how the blockchain and Bitcoin are going in and just transforming the environment and the ecosystem into something that is profitable for all people? Yeah, absolutely. No, El Salvador is is just an incredible, they, they have incredible vision. Um, so there's two parts to your question. It's the it, it's the individual aspect, and then it's also, there's also a community aspect. And mm-hmm. I guess I will I will just again um, emphasize to you that because Bitcoin is finite, and there only ever will be 21 million. It is a form of property, it's, it's money, but it's a form of property that it can be owned by people with no property rights. So mm. in America, that's hard to understand, right? We, we don't have, a, <laughs> yes. it's not hard to understand, but we don't have a concept of life without property rights. Mm-hmm. There are seven, I think seven-ish countries around the world with zero property rights. <clears throat> there are, I don't know, another 50 or more countries with limited property rights. And then of course there's there's places like the US where, where we have full property rights and it's mm-hmm. integral to, um, to who we are, it's why we came to America. Um, so Bitcoin is the only form of property that can be owned by people with no property rights. A woman in mm-hmm. Syria, a family in Cuba, somebody in Yemen, Iran, North Korea, by using a cell phone, they can buy Bitcoin, store their value, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if they work a job, let's say they work in a, um, in, a, in a field, in a rice field, they work in a convenience store, they're an engineer, who, whoever people are around the world, they get up in the morning, they go to work, they, re- they receive money in exchange for their time. And then how do mm-hmm. they store the value of their their time essentially, right? This is what you're storing is you're storing your, the value of your time so that in the future, when you want to buy food or you want to buy a car or some other good or service, you can then take that value that you've stored inside of money and you can go purchase what it is that you'd like to purchase. So when you have a currency like in El Salvador, Argentina, Venezuela, and now the U.S., where our currency is becoming um, 
it, we're, we're debasing our own currency, devaluing our own currency. We now have a chance to opt out of the normal system and to store our value, right? Our, our hard work and our energy. We can store it in this form of property that's available to every person around the world. So, you know, when we're holding on to dollars just here in the U.S., think about just visualize in your mind that you're holding an ice cube, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting smaller every second. It's melting. And that's really what's happening to the U.S. dollar. That's happening. That's what's happening to the value that we store in the dollar. It's, mm-hmm. it's evaporating slowly, yeah. but surely. So, all right. So let's just fast forward to <clears throat> what specifically is happening in El Salvador. So they have adopted it as, as legal tender. And they've been very aggressive with figuring out how to improve the lives of their their citizens. One of the ways that they're doing that, which I find just absolutely fascinating and full of hope, um, they've reached out to some Bitcoin miners that are that are actually um, they're based here in the in the U.S. Um, yeah, right. Two guys, small company, big dream. They were going to start a Bitcoin mining company. They were from the oil and gas industry. And El Salvador reached out to these two guys and said, hey, would you come down to come down to El Salvador? We want to talk to you about a project. So these these gentlemen go to El Salvador. They meet with the ambassador uh, to El Salvador and some other elected officials. And what Bitcoin miners need is really cheap energy. Right. They they've Mm -hmm. got these computers and their other cost is the cost of energy. So El Salvador has geothermal and they also have um, hydroelectric which is essentially free energy usage. Mm-hmm. What they don't have is a robust electricity grid. So El Salvador calls these two guys and says, hey, would you come down? We want to talk to you about a project. And, and what they propose is the government of El Salvador says, listen, we'll, we're gonna, we'd like to partner with you. We'll build these micro power plants, these generation plants, micro, tiny little things. Yeah. If you'll bring your Bitcoin miners down here and if you'll buy the power, then you know we'll fund building out this electricity grid, this this wow. electricity power plant, and the idea is that so so the the Bitcoin miners say yes we're going to go to El Salvador we'll bring like a micro little mining so so basically on the you know on the back of an F one fifty they're going to tow a trailer full of these computers down there they're going to buy wow. from El Salvador the power that is generated by this little power plant until people begin moving into this community where they're doing it, right? So mm-hmm. it's a very, you know, not a populated place. Many people in El Salvador don't have access to electricity. So they're, they're now gonna have a way to build out power and distribute power to their citizens because while communities are being built, while people are moving to this area while there's, where there's a new source of power, the Bitcoin miners will buy this power. But as more people move to this area, the Bitcoin miners will buy less of the power. And as more people move to the area, they'll buy even less of the, the power, right? So until the Bitcoin mm-hmm. miners are buying zero of the power and the citizens who have now developed a community, built houses, built schools, built you know, healthcare facilities, built grocery stores, when those people absorb all of this power, the Bitcoin miners can go away and go to the next site and help El Salvador build 
communities and build their infrastructure. And that can happen all over the world, right? There are, again, we in America don't have any feel for the fact that there are just large parts of the world that do not have access to electricity. Mm -hmm. So Africa, El Salvador, many other places. Um, So this is, this is my sort of what I'm one of the things I'm, I'm most interested about in Bitcoin, you know, you hear people talk about its energy usage, it's terrible for the environment. Um, what, I, what I would say to people is you, you don't understand uh, that, that there's actually not enough energy that's being used in Bitcoin because Bitcoin, the network, the protocol is securing the most pristine form of money ever to exist that will benefit every citizen around the world. Hmm. And also, as more energy is used, like in El Salvador, right? The El Salvadoran government will build um, infrastructure to produce electricity. That electricity directly benefits people, right? People that that have been carrying wood to burn to cook food. So there's a real misunderstanding of the possibility that Bitcoin mining brings to elevating people when you say bringing them, you know, out of poverty, and you you really have the benefit of improving their lives drastically yeah. through yeah. The, through Bitcoin mining and through the it's use of amazing. Bitcoin as you know as a savings mechanism. Yeah, and so there's a way that we can use this new technology to literally bring civilization and raise people out of poverty in third world countries. And so you have to ask, you know, the people who are so against it and so vehement, like, you know, oh, it's bad for the environment. It's like, well, you know, it's good for the environment, raising people out of poverty so they can have the means and ability and time and wealth to take care of the environment. And it's just so interesting that, you know, a lot of times with people who are against such a new innovative idea as this, are just, they haven't thought thought through it the whole way. And it's our job to inform them of the possibilities of raising all people out of poverty. Because as, you know, as a Christian, as a conservative, that's where I want what I want to do. That's where my heart is, right? I want to help people. I don't want to, you know, just create a power structure where it's just an up and down power, you know, dynamic, right? But you, you, we want to help people. We want to raise them up and we want to empower them to get to a place where they can self-actualize because that is what the American dream is. I don't think, you know, American imperialism necessarily should be foreign policy like we've tried to do in the last in the last 20 years. But I think this new American, you know, global imperialism could be an effort to raise people out of poverty using Bitcoin mining, putting power in places that there wasn't before and just improving people's quality of life. So it's almost a ministry opportunity, which is so fulfilling and makes it so much more important for people like myself to want to be involved with it because it almost feels like a ministry. I, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, people often refer to Bitcoin as a religion, and I think that they laugh when they say it. But but truly, um, you know, as I, as I believe that, you know, people of faith feel very strongly rooted in faith, that, that faith is, is the grounding force for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin is that grounding force, right? It's, yeah. it's plain. Its mission is pure. Its mission is to provide a storage a technology for, for people to store their, their energy, store their wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's providing opportunity for people in, in developing countries and also, you know, right here in Texas. It's, 
it it will be what stabilizes our grid. Um, you know, a couple of years ago we had that freeze, our grid failed, and that's because during peak times there just simply isn't enough um, power that's available. But again, you know, when so when China banned Bitcoin mining, this is the biggest coup ever for the state of Texas because in yeah. Texas. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, most of the miners have moved here. Many of the miners have moved here. Large percentage of the miners have moved here. And in Texas, we have this really cool, uh, we have this really cool uh, sort of piece of geography that belongs to us. And, yeah. and that is the intersection of the wind belt and the sun belt. So we can build renewable energy sources. And again, just like El Salvador, there won't be new energy uh, infrastructure built unless there's a buyer for the power, right? And Bitcoin miners mm-hmm. are the buyer of first resort and the buyer of last resort. So Bitcoin miners can be a buyer of the power for all of this new infrastructure. Right. And they can also turn off in less than a minute if there is need for the new power, this new excess power to come to the grid. Bitcoin miners can turn off the power can then be available to the grid so that, mm-hmm. you know, we have a more robust grid right here in the, in the state yeah. of Texas. Wow. Uh, that's like, it's just keep, you keep illustrating how important and such an opportunity this is. So just to summarize, if you are basically mining, you're funding all of the infrastructure of the energy plant being built People come into it and people are going to need power, but it's so unbelievably easy on a computer for you to just turn down or turn off the amount of power you're using. Because if you're if you're using the power, you're funding it. And if you turn it off, you're giving the power to other people. There's no downside and you're making money while you do it. It's great. <laughs> exactly. That That's exactly right. And I really, I would encourage um, your, your listeners to Google the Windstone a Bitcoin mining facility in Rockdale, mm-hmm. Texas. It was bought by okay. Riot Blockchain. Windstone is the largest Bitcoin mining facility in North America. It's just outside wow. of Austin, Texas. They've got great social media. You can go on and and look and see what they're doing. But um, you know, just I'll, I'll give you like a glimpse. So they set up on the site of an old aluminum smelting plant that was owned by Alcoa. Okay. And it closed down in the early 2000s and, and hundreds of people were, were out of work, right? People had worked at this plant for decades. All of a sudden they're out of work. Um, the town, you know, lost a, a lot of revenue. People moved, you know, families obviously lost jobs. Mm-hmm. So Winstone comes in and, you know, there's this huge power source. So they, they figure out these four guys that start this company who, by the way, are not tech guys. Um, they're not investment bankers. You know, one of them sold women's luxury goods. Another one of them owned CrossFit gyms. I mean, wow. they, yeah, they're super impressive. Um, they have built the largest Bitcoin mining facility in North America that, that employs now hundreds of people on a full-time basis um, that are their employees. And then hundreds of contractors are coming in to work with them. And, you know, the, the entire shape of the town has changed, right? They, they're rebuilding their schools. They're rebuilding the healthcare facilities. They're, it's, it's impacting thousands of people, right? All of these family mm-hmm. members have, have new opportunity. 
it's it's wow. absolutely it's the, it's the most amazing thing and occasionally they do tours so i encourage you if you're able to get out there and, and go listen to them and go see what they've done it it really takes it really makes bitcoin tangible because wow. these are people these are normal people these are people many of them without college degrees who are you know working at this facility who are happy who are proud to be there who are doing great work and they understand the importance of of Bitcoin and what it's doing for folks around the world. Yeah, that's huge. That's amazing. And so the last question I have for you, because you've graced us with so much information, is obviously the Lily Kate show, um, underscored feminism sucks, (laughs) (laughs) is a podcast that is mostly focused on women, constructive criticism, helping women, tearing down the lies that women face on a daily basis in our culture and that are fed to us constantly. Um, And so I just want to hone in on women just a little bit. So of course we talked about like raising people out of poverty and things of, of the like, but is there a specific way that you think and foresee women, um, using the blockchain and being able to utilize Bitcoin specifically um, to, to benefit just women in general, you know, femininity and, and things of the like. I would say the most beneficial thing for women to do is to value themselves, understand mm. how to value yourself in every relationship. So if that's in a romantic relationship, if that's in a relationship with an employer, mm-hmm have personal pride, make yourself a subject matter expert. You know, Mm. it's something that we've talked about here today resonates with you. Mm. Dig into it. I mean, that's how I became involved in Bitcoin. I, uh, I really was just trying to figure out a way. Uh, It started with me just figuring out a way to, to make money and to, um, you know, how was I going to, how was I going to invest my own money? How was I going to, you know, make it to retirement, right? I'm, thinking, yeah. okay, I need to have X amount of dollars to retire. How am I going to get there? Let's just think about this really simply. Um, I, I just made myself a subject matter expert in Bitcoin. I took a class um, at MIT. I've probably spent, I don't, I don't know, thousands, probably 10,000 hours studying the topic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anybody can do that, right? There, the, there's so much great information out there. There's fantastic readings, um, which I'm happy to share a link with, you know, some places that I've found really valuable uh, on YouTube to YouTube's to watch podcasts to listen to people to follow on Twitter certainly there's some great books the Bitcoin standard is probably my favorite Um, great books so that you can just become a subject matter expert and and you'll find your place in in Bitcoin whether or not that's working for a minor you want to move to a, a different country and help people do this work. You want to do this work right here in Texas, um, mm. but but really understand the the value of of being a female with this interest. And um, mm. there, and by the way, there aren't enough women in Bitcoin. There aren't enough women in this space. I I've spent the last two days at a conference in Houston, Bitcoin mining conference, and there were twelve hundred people in attendance, and probably ten you know, women that were kind of commercial aspect um, women. Wow. So, and what I mean by that, like there were, there were women that were, you know, working some of the, uh, you know, assistance and setting stuff up and, and all of those jobs are, are very valuable. Um, mm-hmm. But there just aren't enough women in the, in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah. So 
come right. into the ecosystem, reach out to me, um, reach out to folks on Twitter that you follow. Mm -hmm. It's everybody is interested in getting more women into Bitcoin. So true. So good. Because financial freedom should not just be limited, obviously. And this is a deep down, you know, we want the nuclear family to have as much freedom, financial freedom as possible. But at the same time, you know, you don't have to be completely limited to just having your husband making the money or, you know, you can have as a woman the financial freedom. You can be the cutting edge information provider. You can know about all this new technology that's happening and all the possibilities with it because that increases your value, you know, your market share value as a human being in the functioning world, right? You have intrinsic value and God given rights. We know that. But if you can have this extra information, be an expert, be a reliable and authoritative source for this new technology that's coming out and why it's important for people to be involved. You can be a vessel for freedom and a vessel for um, raising people out of poverty and a vessel for just having the general world benefit from Bitcoin and the blockchain and everything that can come from it. So there's no downside in learning more about it because as you said, Bitcoin is the future. It's the future, Lily Kate. Ooh. I'm glad we're getting into it very, very soon. But Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today and enlightening us. And I definitely encourage, as you said, everyone to research, reach out, and just ask more questions about it. Lisa, you're here. I'm here. You guys can ask questions. You know, I'll, I'll try and answer them <laughs> to the best of my ability. But Lisa, thank you so much for coming today. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon, Lily Kate.